You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Welcome to Wellness Realness, where we get very real about all things health and wellness, physical, mental, financial, and spiritual. I'm your host, Christina Rice, a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm here to help you up-level every aspect of your life. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You can find an endless amount of content from me and join my online membership at christinaricewellness.com. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and my most unfiltered self, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to Wellness Realness Crew on Instagram and request to follow my super secret account. You can also join the Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe Facebook group to hang out with other listeners in the crew. Get ready for some wellness realness. Today's episode is an amazing conversation with two of the most incredible women in the fitness industry and in the business space. And those women are Jill Coleman and Danny J, who are hosts of the Best Life podcast. If you don't already listen to the Best Life podcast, you need to check it out. You will absolutely love it if you enjoyed this show. They chat about success, money, relationships, entrepreneurship, productivity, psychology, abundance mindset, so, so many amazing topics. And I was recently a guest on their show where we talk all about business, nutrition, health, money mindset, everything in between. It was such a fun conversation. We recorded these episodes a couple of weeks ago when I went up to LA. We did a little podcast swap and I had so much fun hanging out with them. They both have really incredible stories and so much expertise in this industry and really down to earth, just great people. Danny J has such an awesome story. She was paralyzed when she was 22. She was a suicidal and pregnant teen and had a huge turnaround story and has created multiple very successful brands and online businesses. She owned a very successful personal training and online training business, No Excuses Fitness. She's helped thousands of women with their fitness goals and now helps thousands of women with their money mindset and embracing abundance and reaching their business goals. And Jill Coleman, I'm sure many of you know her from JillFit.com. She was co-founder of Metabolic Effect. She has been featured in all kinds of media outlets, self-shape women's health. She has multiple online programs like the Mindset Makeover, the Food Obsession Bootcamp, her 52-week exercise program, the Total Training Experience, and her flagship program, the Best of You Coaching Club Mentorship. These women have so much to share when it comes to all things fitness, body image, health, business, money mindset, and relationships. And in this episode, we talk a lot about their relationships and how they overcame affairs in their marriages. And I just really appreciated their perspective and the way they opened up. I haven't had any guests talk about that on this show. And we also talked a lot about their changing body image and just relationship with their bodies over the years coming from fitness competitions and being trainers to where they are now. I think a lot of you guys will be able to kind of relate with their mindset shifts. So there is a lot of gold in this episode. I really encourage you to check out the Best Life podcast and 
go say hi to them on Instagram. They have an Instagram account called The Best Life Podcast. And then their personal accounts, Jill's is at JillFit and Danny J is at DannyJ.com. Spelt out Danny J D O T C O M. That will be in the show notes. I also just want to say at the beginning of this episode, Danny J did not know that I was recording. We were waiting for Jill. She was in the other room doing something and we were just talking and we had our headphones on, the headsets on to record, and I was just recording. So I kept that piece in. Don't worry. I got her permission. I got her permission. She was talking about digestive issues, which I feel like a lot of you guys will find interesting. So just so you know, that that was a transition into the conversation when Jill joined. But anyway, these women have so many incredible insights to share. I am so grateful that we got to have this conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Jill Coleman and Danny J. I get asked all the time what I think about CBD and if I have a favorite brand. And there's only one answer to that, and that is that I love Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil. That full spectrum part is very important. CBD isolates are really common on the market today. And an isolate is a lab-isolated CBD compound that's in a white powder form. And it's stripped of all of the other phytocannabinoids that really complement that CBD and provide the entourage effect, as they call it, which is really thought to be behind the true healing powers of hemp. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil contains all of the other active cannabinoids in addition to the cannabidiol, which means it includes other compounds like CBG, CBC, CBDA, CBGA, and those lovely smelling hemp terpenes. The only ingredients are CBD, the full range of other phytocannabinoids, and non-GMO MCT oil, so there are no inflammatory oils or flavors like a lot of other products out there on the market. And Ned only extracts from the hemp flowers, not the stalks and seeds, and they use a very gentle, slow ethanol-based extraction method, no high heat or high temperature, so you're getting the highest quality possible. Ned's Full Spectrum Hemp Oil has been a game changer for me in terms of improving my sleep, reducing my inflammation, calming down my anxiety, and balancing out my hormones. For any of my clients or friends who struggle with insomnia, anxiety, depression, joint pain, body pain, autoimmune disease, or any issues rooted in inflammation, I highly, highly recommend this. And for all of my ladies out there, Ned's Natural Cycle Collection is a game changer if you're looking to naturally balance out your hormones. If you're struggling with hormonal imbalances that are affecting your skin, your weight, or of course your period, then you definitely want to get your hands on that. You can also check out their hemp-infused body butter and hemp-infused lip balms, which are amazing. But I really think everyone needs to get their hands on their full-spectrum hemp oil. I take a dropper's worth under my tongue every single evening hold it there for about 30 seconds and then I swallow and it chills me out for the night, relaxes me, helps to reduce my inflammation and honestly just makes me feel amazing with consistent use. If you want to get your hands on the best CBD products out there, then hop on over to helloned.com and you can use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's helloned.com and my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S will get you 15% off. You know, something that kills me is I was paralyzed uh, when I was 22 and I have like no pictures because just was, that was in 2003. It was Mm -hmm. like before we had 
a phone every fucking second. It was like when you still had to pay money to develop film. Mm -hmm. So I just wish I had, you know, before and after pictures of things, but it's interesting because a lot of people don't, don't want the photos though. A lot of people don't want to. Well, that's it too. I wouldn't have wanted to take them, Mm -hmm. but I just wish I had them. You don't have any pictures? I think I have one. Um, I have a chest at my mom's house and I think my mom took a video, like a camcorder Mm -hmm. of me with a walker. And I believe that somehow we got that put onto a CD, but I have no idea what to put the disc into. Like I'll probably have to go to a library maybe. Oh. And then maybe put the CD on and then screenshot the video. I think I have that. I have to find it though. But How did you get paralyzed? I had a bacterial infection. I worked at SeaWorld in uh, San Diego. Oh my God. And um, it got into my blood and then lodged into my sacroiliac joint. And I got an infection in my joint and back and it just cut off all the motor neurons to my legs. And then speaking of like digestive issues, then I was on antibiotics for four months. Well, I was on IV antibiotics yeah. and then, so my digestion got even worse and it was always bad. Totally slow your motility. Oh my God. And yeast stuff. Like yeah. I, anytime I get on antibiotics, even to this day, I take an antibiotic for a day and it's like phew, yeast infection, like wow. instant. Yeah. I'm like freaking antibiotics just wreck your body. And I didn't know mm-hmm. I was so young. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I worked with more, you know, like naturopathic people mm-hmm. and read and reading about like a uh, candida mm-hmm. overgrowth started learning about candida and it's really, really interesting because I always had these like high sugar cravings. Too. Yeah. I remember in um, chemistry in 10th grade, we did some yeast project and you added sugar and it just like exploded. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this lady is why I always want sugar. Yeah. Cause the yeast is just wanting it. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's why I was saying like a big part of me getting on my binge eating was literally mm. cutting sugar. Yeah. It was like that simple because it was just feeding the candida. Totally. That's yeah. And I was also listening to a podcast recently where I guess the new, one of the new theories is that all SIBO is really just nerve damage. Interesting. Just for motility. So yeah. that's very fascinating. So it's interesting too, because, um, I have had digestive issues since I was as early as I can remember. I remember my first time going to the doctor, I was eight years old. My mom took me and I remember this so clearly because I, it was this time where I felt really dumb. So the doctor said, well, how many times do you have a bowel movement? And I looked over at my mom and I was like, what's a bowel? <laughs> oh like, my God. I was like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, how often do you poop, honey? And yeah. I was like, I go, oh, well, maybe once every two weeks. The look on her face and the doctor's face mm-hmm. was like shocked. No, no. I said, oh, maybe once a week. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was actually not even true. And then I looked on their face and they looked shocked. And I was like, oh, I mean like once every two weeks or maybe once a month. Cause I thought it was ro- like, I thought it was too much. Yeah. <laughs> so they were shocked because it was like not enough. Yeah. And I was like thinking, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. I'm pooping too much. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, isn't that interesting though? Where like you think you don't know what normal, right. what normal is. <laughs> totally, totally. I was like, oh, is once a week too yeah. much? Okay, I mean less than that, which was closer to the truth. Yeah. It probably was less than that. So, were you in like severe pain all the time? No, no, I wasn't at all. I was um, in severe pain all the time. No, I wasn't. Um, and then like they've tried, they tried so many things. Like they put me on mineral oil and then Metamucil, and they made me eat prunes, and it was this constant thing. Like all, like all I can remember as a mm-hmm. child is like. Like, why is this a big deal? But not until I was an adult did I really realize that I was like, not in pain, but so uncomfortable. Like by day seven, eight, nine, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, something needs to happen. And then I just take laxatives. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, one wouldn't work. Then I'm up to six, seven, eight. And I went to doctors, I was 26. And I was like, look, the only way I go to the bathroom is if I take six laxatives. And he's like, well, that's not good. I'm like, yeah. duh, that's why I'm freaking here. Yeah. I'm like, because I have such a tolerance now. Mm-hmm. What do I do when I'm 80? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to take 20. Like my body's gonna, just not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And he was like, well, you just can keep, and basically the doctor was like, well, just keep doing what you're doing. I was like, you don't understand. I'm 26 yeah, and I'm reliant to go to the bathroom once a week only. I used to call my poop day. I take it on Saturday and then like Sunday, it's been all day curled up on the bathroom floor for like five hours, just in cramping and pain. And, um, I got colonoscopy. I had to get like three because they couldn't even, I couldn't even go to the bathroom to get clear enough to get the colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. So they had to make me keep doing it over. And all they said was, oh, you just have a stretched out colon. I was oh like, my gosh. well, of course I do. Yeah. Because all my stuff gets backed up for weeks. Yeah. So still dealing with it. You're still dealing with it to <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I was doing pretty good a couple of years ago and I don't know what the difference was, but then the last two years has been rough and I, I travel, I've been traveling, living out of suitcase for two years. And I think that's been a big... Yeah. Big reason. So now, like when you asked when we got here, we're staying for 30 days and probably three months. And like, I feel like just some stability. Yeah. Help for sure. That will definitely. Have you ever tried a prokinetic? I don't know what that is. It, it helps with motility. Some people who just have like have trouble with peristalsis, Uh like need just to take a prokinetic and just to push things through. Like if, if it's really just like sometimes the nerves just for me, it feels, I've always told the doctors cause I've tried fiber that doesn't work. Senna, like Senna mm-hmm. tea, it, I can tell it helps feel like it's moving and mm-hmm. that I feel like is my issue. So I would, for people with constipation, I always say as low to no fiber as possible. Mm-hmm. Fiber just makes it worse. It does. I would say. Yeah. But I would be interested to see if you'd notice anything with a prokinetic. I mean, I have all kinds of constipation hacks. Yeah. So. Well, I just started taking some prescription called True Lance, which has been interesting, but I feel like that motility issue Mm -hmm. the nerve thing i think has been the issue all along yeah but that could be interesting do you meditate i do okay just yeah recently been more uh consistent okay yeah isn't it interesting with our practices like we know what is good we could be really consistent and then just totally stop even though we need to do it yeah (laughs) so yeah i think too just the travel that's been a big thing for me is going I need to be in a place so I can have a routine. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, like, I like to do my reading in the morning, some gratitude stuff, some journaling, meditation. But if I'm traveling and I have to hurry up and get out before 10 a.m. because it's checkout, yeah. then all that goes out the window. It's chaos. Then it never gets back to normal. And then, like, you know, here I am six, seven months later. I'm like, oh, I meditated twice. Yeah. You know? Wait, so have you been traveling just, like, for fun? So it started... Uh, two years ago, I was living here in LA Mm -hmm. and I had three months of travel. It was going to be like Jill and I were going to go to Sundance. And then, um, there was a conference we were going to, and then there was one I was speaking at. It was literally just like back to back stuff. Mm -hmm. And my lease was up and I'm going, well, I don't really love living right here. Plus I don't want to pay basically for a storage unit, $2,000 a month. So I'll just move my stuff and I'll get a new place Mm -hmm. after three months. And then I got an opportunity. Then we like went to paleo effects and then we went to something else. Like it just kept happening where there was like no reason for me to, to move. Yeah. And soon, you know, three months turned into six, turned into nine and then turned into two years. And it was just like, I, a couple things happened, got divorced. I had some dogs, they died. So I didn't have anything to come home to. And I was like, well, this is the time in my life where I can travel. So I will, um, But yeah, lately and, you know, due to this coronavirus stuff too, any kind of things that were coming up are already getting canceled anyway. So it's kind of like a good time for me to chill. Making us all chill. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how'd you guys meet? Jill and I met, we met online through like Facebook or Twitter. Um, You know, I had a brand called the Sweaty Buddies, a fitness brand 
well, actually before that, even maybe MySpace. <laughs> we met on MySpace. So we were both in fitness. I was a competitor. Jill was a competitor. I think like through different photographers, like everybody was shooting with the same photographer. So we probably like crossed each other on there or seen each other. Mm-hmm. And then I had a brand called the Sweaty Betties. And I know Jill's um, ex-husband and herself, they were working, they had a brand called Metabolic Effect. And I know I was sharing a lot of their stuff because I like to share work that other people were doing. And so I think I got noticed that way and was having conversations with her ex-husband and with herself. And so kind of knew of each other and around, we're around the same circles for a number of years, but we met for the first time in person in 2013. We both were speaking at an event and, um, I remember just meeting her and it was so funny because we were both had been trainers. We both had been competitors. We both started like now working with personal trainers and helping them build online business. So I know we were talking, it was like, Oh my gosh, me too. Oh my gosh, me too. Mm-hmm. Our husbands were the same age. We got married at the same time. Like we were the same age. I was like, we're like living parallel lives in two different States, but like have kind of the same thing happening. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like that really cool connection, but we didn't necessarily keep that going. So that was 2013. And like, we'd see each other online, but I wouldn't say we were like besties or anything. And then, um, I found out Jill was moving across country. She lived in North Carolina, moving to, uh, Los Angeles. And I was in Utah at the time. And I was like, well, let's meet in the middle in Vegas. We'll do a couples thing. Cause our husbands had never met. And she messaged me and said, uh, oh, he's, you know, my husband's not coming. And I was like, okay, well, we might get a girl's trip. So we made this girl's trip and honestly, like that was 2015, right? 2015. So we hadn't really for two years seen each other or talked much. And on that girl's trip, she told me that they, she got separated Mm -hmm. and that her husband had had an affair. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like, I remember. Well, you were really, yeah, you were shocked because, and like you were only one of the few people I had even told because so I had so much embarrassment and shame around it, but I knew that you knew my ex. And so I told you, and I remember you said, but you're so successful and you're so pretty and like, you're so like smart. Yeah. And I remember just going like, I know, and it's not about any of that, but that's, I think what we think it is. Oh, well, like you're pretty enough. You're smart enough. You're what like, like that no one could possibly cheat on you. I was like, why would he cheat on you? And I knew him too. So I was, and he and he is like, if you know him, he, people are really shocked because he like does have this air of like, and he is in his integrity. He's done like a complete one eighty since then. But um, yeah, and then so Danny was supporting me a little bit at that time. But really, you know, I lived in LA and you guys came out and stayed in my place for a month when I went to Australia that following year in twenty sixteen. And then a few months later, you know, Danny called me up and said, Nate's having an affair. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, and she was like, I'm driving around town in Utah and crying in parking lots and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you can come to LA and stay with me. So she ended up coming about a month later and just, you know, stayed with me for a couple of months. And then she got her own place in Venice. And so we kind of went through heartbreak just like one year later, like her, but very same exact story, both, you know, like good relationships. I think we tend to think that infidelity happens in like bad relationships or when the, the wife is like a nag or like. And it just wasn't any of that. It was just, and so it kind of blew both of our own judgments about infidelity, like out of the water mm-hmm. and we're faced with, you know, kind of like a new reality. And, and so much of both of our identities were caught up in, in being married to this person and doing business with this person even. And so, you know, kind of starting over and starting fresh and then dating in LA and, and having very similar experiences. And so we started the podcast about a year and a half later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really parallel lives. So I know. <laughs> they were so parallel before. And then I was like, and then how did this exactly? Yeah. And I remember even like, so Danny knew my story. And then like a few months later, you know, I said, well, you know, what's your secret? You guys are so, I was like, you know, if any, I looked at any couples as like couple goals, I was yeah. like, it's you guys. And then like literally two, like, months, two months later, later. 
<laughs> Jesus. So, okay. How did you find out? Yeah. So this is a question that comes up a lot. He actually confessed, which is interesting. I knew something was going on kind of early on in their relationship and kind of like caught some like emails, exchanges and stuff. And he assured me that it wasn't anything serious and it was just like, you know, pretty, and I, I believed him and I wanted it to work. And so I trusted him and I knew for my own sense of sanity, I would have to trust him, you know? And so I started doing the work. I started diving into Byron Katie's work and was doing a lot of stuff like reading her books and really trying to change that. We talked about mindset when we had you on the best life. Mm -hmm. And really for me, it was about like, okay, cool. Like, I do want my marriage to work. Uh, this person says that this isn't happening anymore and I want to believe him and not in like a naive way, but I want to like trust. And so I did, and I was doing the work and I was, you know, doing personal development. I was building my own business outside of his business. And then he, there was a patch in our business where he was just really like, um, like being very short mm -hmm. with me and like kind of snappy and stuff. And I was like, is this motherfucker? And like, uh, I thought he was in like a midlife crisis. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I was like, what is wrong with him? I don't understand what's wrong. And it, that was about a nine month period then one night, um, he went out like, cause we both worked from home. So we'd go out for like a drive every once in a while. I was like, do you want to come out for a drive? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm tired. So he went out, came home like an hour or two later and I was in bed and, um, he comes in, he's shaking. He's like literally shaking in bed. And I'm like, are you okay? What's, what's going on? And it comes to find out that the affair had kept going on for another two years after the initial thing. Um, unbeknownst to me. And he said, I was just out driving and I saw the woman's car who he was with and she was with another guy. And so my husband was going through heartbreak, mm. his own heartbreak outside of me. Well, I don't know any of this. Yeah. And so he confessed everything. And I was like, literally, I just felt like I was watching someone else's life. Yeah. Like I didn't even have that sense of shock yet. Cause I was like, this isn't real. So yeah. I mean, then from there I ended up staying for about a year cause things weren't hot. Like they, they had cut things off, I tried to work on it. Still nothing was changing. He was still in heartbreak over the other woman. And so I left. When you say like tried to work on it, like what does that involve? So for me, it was continuing to have a lot of the uncomfortable conversations we hadn't had before, right? So that's to me when I think back, like what happened, people always want to know like, how does infidelity happen? And I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you for our perspective, there was a lot of things that went unsaid mm -hmm. that we just didn't know to communicate. Like we just didn't know, you know, I was really young when we started dating and he was kind of almost like a mentor figure to me. And, um, a lot of resentment built that neither one of us talked about. So when we say we talked about it, we kind of like ripped the bandaid off and we just like kind of said everything we need to say to the other person, mm -hmm. let all the emotions fly. You know, he left, I left, you know, screaming like fights, like all that kind of stuff. And then the second piece of that was I started traveling alone. I was like, this thing over here is not solid. I went and I spent like three weeks in Italy by myself. I went and lived in Sydney for a month by myself. I went to Europe for nine weeks. I literally was like, this thing's not solid. I have to figure out how to be alone if that's going to be like what I need to do. And so after spending nine weeks in Europe, he came for a little bit of it. We said we weren't going to talk while we were there, came home, had a series of really ser like serious discussions um, in succession. And it was clear to me that thing, nothing had changed with him. He was still like, I love you. I want to be with you. I'm not with this other woman anymore. And that was the truth. But he was still, again, super heartbroken and couldn't figure out why she dismissed him and he was going through his own stuff that had nothing to do with me. So I was like, I'm not, I'm not a doormat. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's the story we tell, right? Like if I stay, I'm a doormat and I did want it to work. And I think a lot of women have shame over staying because they think that, okay, I'm a strong, independent woman. I should just leave. And it's not that simple when you build a life with someone, you know, yeah. like more power to people too, who can like just cut shit off. But I also knew that there was a story there for me. There was a lesson in that for me. And I was interested in Danny. It was too. Both of us were interested in figuring out what that was, even yeah. though it technically wasn't we didn't do the thing. It still affected us. And we had a say in what happened next. Yeah. 
Okay, so then how did you find out? Yeah, um, you know, it was interesting. We were, we had just moved in with my grandmother uh, to help kind of caretake with her. So it was crazy because we didn't know when we moved in that she had dementia. So mm-hmm. it was apparent within a couple of weeks that things were a little bit nuts. So things were crazy. I know that he was really uncomfortable, but um, for about two, two and a half months, he was acting like Jill said, just like short. And he was very like, the kind of person that never would get really angry or short. So I was like, okay, something's wrong. I thought he was depressed. Um, I remember I kept asking him, I'm like, do you need to see a doctor? Do you need to get on medication? Like what's going on? And I just kept saying like, what, what do you need? Like what's going on? And I remember just like having this, like pretty much the night before I found out just staring at him, like sitting on the couch and just going, what are you not saying to me? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you not saying? And I, I honestly just thought it was depression because of what was going on with my grandma and he was annoyed and he had family stuff happening. And, um, yeah, long story short, I, he asked me if he, we had an RV, we had been traveling around the country for a year before. And he said, Hey, I I think I just want to go in town and just stay in the RV by myself for a little bit and just figure things out. And I remember crying and just going, okay, if that's what you need, like I know something's up, but did not think anything that it was what it was. Um, cause we worked together. We lived in a small town like that. Didn't even consider, I, I don't even know how we would meet somebody. And, um, yeah, I just got this gut feeling to look at his phone. I just was like this, it was just like this thought in my head that was like, check his phone. And I noticed that he was keeping it on him like more than usual. He used to just lay it on a counter or something. And I was like, Oh, he's where is it? And it's got to be on his body. And anyway, he sat down. Um, he's, I asked him to do something on the computer. He put the phone next to the computer. He started typing. So when both hands were on the computer, I went behind him. I grabbed the phone and I ran to the bathroom and locked the door. And I did not, like I said, I did not know what I was going to find. I just was like, I need to look. And I just went straight to text messages. And the first name on the text was a girl's name that I had never heard of him talking about, never knew. And I started just scrolling through the messages and just reading. Like Basically, he was saying things like, yeah, we're getting a divorce anyway. I'm in love with you. I can't imagine my life without you. And I'm just going, what is he talking about? Like, this isn't, it doesn't make sense. So he started banging on the door and, um, yeah, I ended up just reading through all the messages and just through the phone. And I was like, okay, wow. Like this is what's been going on. And like Jill said, it was just, it's a shock. And I remember she was telling me later on, she's like, it's like the twilight zone. And I was like, yes, you just don't even feel like this is real. And in my mind, I'm just like, there's some just questions like how and who and why (laughs) Mm -hmm. and when, (laughs) you know, all of these things of how did this happen in front of me and how did I miss it? And what were the, which adds to the shame. Yeah. Like people are like, did you know? And you're like, I didn't know. Should I have known? Like, Totally. And just, he's not the type. I, you know, it's funny because I, that year I was traveling a lot. I had this mastermind that I joined and I had to go to Philadelphia once a month for five days. And so I was gone. So then I was like, oh, if I was never gone, was that it? And, and also I was like, I could have way easier had the chance to cheat mm-hmm. by traveling and doing that. And I just, I think people too, just the perception of maybe him and I, and knowing how much he was into me would have thought that it would have been me. <laughs> like if I knew the relationship, I'd have been like, if anybody's going to cheat, it's probably going to be me over him. Cause he was like the loyal one. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, wait a second. And I always told myself, and we had this agreement when we got married, we're like kind of this joke, like no one's getting out of this marriage alive. Mm-hmm. And we never talked about divorce. And I was like, if someone cheats, like I'm out. Like, so when you're confronted with that, you're like, but wait, I don't want to just leave. Like, I love yeah. you. And I'm actually concerned because this is so out of character. Like what's, why did, what's going on with you? Mm-hmm. We need to fix this. So yeah, I found out and, um, within a couple of days we had some back and forth. I ended up sp- spending the night at a friend's house and, 
Um, and he said he wanted to make it work with the other woman. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll go then. And that's, yeah. you know, Jill offered up her place and I was literally going, cause I, we were in the middle of putting grandma in home. So we were going to be moving somewhere anyway. And I just remember thinking, I either got to go live with my parents or I got to go live at my friends on the couch. And I was like, I'm going to go live with my friends. I was on the couch because I just felt so much shame and going, I'm 35 years old. And now I got to go live at home with my parents. Cause my husband cheated on me. So I moved to LA and like Jill said too, I remember this, this mantra I had at the time was just like, don't miss the lesson. Don't miss the lesson. Like, what do I need to learn from this? And there's this, this struggle in limbo. Like you want to know, should I get a divorce? Should I stay? What do I do? And, and even though he wanted to work it out with this girl, I was like, I'm not filing for divorce. You do it. Like mm-hmm. this wasn't my choice. If you want to divorce me, fine. But I'm just like here to say that this was not my doing. I didn't choose this. That's on you. And he never filed. And six months later, came back around begging to make our marriage work. And of course, six months I had been going to counseling and crying and working through my own shit. So I'm like in a different place. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being really um, confused because I was thinking, man, if he had done this two, three months ago, I would have been right back with him. Mm -hmm. But now six months, I'm a different person and I've worked through some stuff and I've like taken responsibility and and I need to see you do the same thing. And so I kind of said, said, listen, I need to see you go to counseling. I need to see you take some of these steps. And in a few months he didn't. And there was literally a moment where I just knew and I was like, okay, we're filing and it's over. And, uh, and then we just, we filed for divorce and it, you know, luckily it was pretty simple. It was done within a week. That was from the time I found out to our divorce was about 10 months. Wow. Yeah. I mean, do you think that, I mean, I don't know. I've never been cheated on or faced with an affair, yeah. right? So I'm like, do you think that you it is possible for people to work through it? Because sure. yeah, totally. yeah, I totally think it is. I mean, and I think it, at the end of the day, like both parties do need to take responsibility, not for the actual cheating. And that I don't think I think I can say for both of us, it was never about sex. Like mm-hmm. to me, that's it's whatever. Mm-hmm. It was more about like the the fact that we weren't having some of the conversations. We didn't feel like safe. We didn't have the toolkit to say the words, we couldn't articulate how we were feeling. So it just turned into this Mm -hmm. because no one really knew what else to do. So when my ex was saying, you know, I really love you and I love this woman, like I believe that I actually do think that you can love two people at the same time and even want to be with two people at the same time. But that needs to be communicated. I think Danny and I, what we were most hurt by was the fact that we didn't have, we didn't, couldn't make our own decision. Mm -hmm. That's always what's the worst thing about, you know, kind of cheating is the, the uh, exclusivity of it. You don't know the whole story. You're not given all the tools, you know, for me to go, wow, this is going on for fucking two and a half years. Yeah. Right. Like, and I'm like, that's what the fuck I was sitting there doing the fucking work and sitting at home being like, I'm making myself better. Meanwhile, that dude's doing what he's doing. And that just makes you feel robbed of time, Mm -hmm. robbed of your autonomy. Um, and both of us are big autonomy people. So that I think was the most hurtful is like, cool. I wish I had a say, Yeah, like you had to do what you were doing, but like, I felt like we're living a different life, you know, yeah. and that's really disorienting. Yeah. But I do think that if, if couples, um, commit to honesty and that's what's hard. It's like, we didn't know to commit to honesty. If you'd asked me back then, are you an honest person? Do you tell the truth? Both of us would have said yes. Mm-hmm. Most people think that they're honest, but it's like little white lies, lies of omission, you know, a uh, fear of talking to your partner and saying something that could potentially be hurtful. I know for Jade, he was building resentment and he couldn't say it to me. He couldn't talk about his needs. And if I'm honest, if he had tried to communicate his needs to me, I don't know that I'd be open to it. Mm. I would have been really defensive because I didn't have the tools mm-hmm. to hold the space. 
You know what I mean? So we just weren't, we were in an immature place that we didn't know. And I'm very different in a relationship now. He's very different in a relationship now. And so at the end of the day, I am grateful. And I'm like, it has utility as yeah. much as I fucking hated every second of it for such a long time. It's, it's so much better now. And I, I do believe couples can, and many do work it out. I think it, yeah. it takes two, um, strong, you, you both have to want it for one. I think that was the piece when, when I first found out I really wanted it, I would like took him to a counselor, but he didn't. Right. And that was when I really learned how you can't make a marriage work if the other person doesn't. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this isn't just me. And I, I remember, you know, being so judgmental to people divorcing before this happened. Cause I, I would see enough. so many people. Yeah. Like they didn't work hard enough. They didn't try to fight for it, but two people have to fight for it. One person cannot. And so that was really hard for me. Cause I was going, we, you know, what is this like just giving up? Yeah. So it does have to come with two people. The other piece is that the person who was betrayed, if they do want to work it out, has to forgive and they have to be able to move on because I've heard of people trying to work it out and then they constantly throw it back in their face later on. And they're constantly like, yeah, but you did this to me. And so it's like the person who, who maybe did the betraying and it's really like, they, they feel really bad about it and they want to make it work and they're doing everything they can. They can't do enough to make the other person feel safe and trustworthy again. If that person doesn't choose to, to want to feel trustworthy again and to, to have that together. So I think it takes a lot. Um, I think it can be done. I think it can be really hard. It has to take two people who are really, really wanting to do hard work. Mm -hmm. And from what Jill and I have seen and from our podcast, we've interviewed a lot of people who have been on, who've been the cheater, who've been cheated on, um, who've also stayed. stayed. And I feel like for everybody in the, the four or whatever, the, however many people are involved, (laughs) um, if there's enough personal development, whether they stayed or went, they've been able to make something, make some kind of lesson out of it eventually. But that is a choice. That is a hundred percent a choice. Cause we've also seen people who have, I mean, I have a friend who's, you know, I grew up with her, her husband left when, um, my friend was in, uh, high school. She's 40 years old now. And so this is what, 20 something years later, her mom is still bitter, still single, hates men. And, you know, we can always hang, we can always choose to hang on to that as well. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting taking those narratives into new relationships too. That's what I was going to ask you, like how that has affected your relationships moving forward. Well, we're both just in our newest, I mean, so I'm in a rush. Yeah. Well, this is my first relationship since, um, splitting up. So I'm in a relationship now and it's been a year and the first couple of months were, were rough. There's a lot of, and what's been great about the guy that I'm seeing is he went through the same thing. His wife had an affair. And so we've had a lot of conversations about around that and about that. But, you know, Jill and I have talked a lot about trust and like trusting again. And we both are like, yes, we, we will trust again. I want to. But then when you're actually like saying it is one thing, but actually being faced with it is another. And so of course with, the, with social media, you know, like I'm looking at his phone, looking over his shoulder, like who are you talking to? And we had an instance where I, you know, took his phone. And so we've had, we've had to have these conversations of, okay, we, we have this agreement now of like, you can look at my phone anytime. I can look at your phone at any time and you can ask. However, you can ask only if you, if there's been things that I've been doing that are shady, there's reason to believe, but not just cause you're feeling insecure and you need to like, need to know, right? Mm-hmm. Cause there's a difference between like jumping down someone's throat and constantly accusing them of doing something because you're insecure about it versus they're actually doing, like if he's showing up every day, if he's showing me that he, you know, is, 
cares about me and that he does things for me, then there's no reason for me to constantly be questioning. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to punish him for what my ex-husband did to me. And I also don't want to be punished for what his ex-wife did to him. So we have to be really aware of what we're bringing into the next relationship and not punishing our partners because someone else did something to us in the past. And it's hard. There's many times where I've been triggered and not even realized. And I couldn't have dealt with that until I was in a relationship. I think sometimes people believe we have to heal before we get into the next one. And I think you should need to do as much healing as you can. But there are things that I've learned in this relationship that there's no way I could have healed or even yeah. recognized until I was in it and yeah. got triggered that way. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. So Danny and I actually did a podcast um, early on and it was about how can you trust again? And at that time, everything was intellectual. Like we were, because we dated a lot, but nothing serious to where you felt like you actually could had something to lose. And so our podcast was, it was great. It was like all theory though. It was like, yeah, of course we're going to trust. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the books. Here's what we're going to. And then I got into a relationship about two years ago and I was like, holy fuck. Like the experiential is so different than the intellectual. And I had moments, like Danny said, it's like you can have all the knowledge in the world about what you would do mm -hmm. if such and such. And I had to walk my walk and I had to act like someone who was trusting even when I wasn't quite yet. And so, you know, it's kind of like the as if principle, like act as if you are a trusting, loving, you know, partner. And even if you do have doubts, you know, cause we get this question all the time. We get DMS constantly from women who are like, but how though, but how do you trust? But how do you trust? And like, you just have to make the leap to, even when you're scared, like, and just know that the consequence might be the same as it was. You might get, and I, and I said this to Danny early on, I was like, I might get my heart ripped out again, but I'm like, I, I'm, I'm willing to do that if that's what it means. And the second thing is looking at his actions. I'm not going to project. And I found myself at times projecting, oh, well, this same thing happened in my marriage. Yeah. So maybe it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to project like 10 steps down the road. This mm -hmm. means this is going to end up the same way. Um, and I'm, I catch myself and I'm like, okay, that's not the person, two different people. And it's not fair to who, the person I'm with to project that narrative, obviously. Um, the one question in the back of my mind always is, I know as a result of going through all of this, I have a different relationship to honesty and integrity and communication that I never had before. Yeah. I don't know that the person I'm with has that same relationship because they haven't been through this. And I think if that's, if there's anything in the back of my mind of going like, okay, maybe this, this won't be so great at some point. That's the only thing. But yeah. at the end of the day, like I can't control that. You know, yeah. all I can do is show up the way I'm showing up. And we have, we've had some conversations that have been like, that I would never have had 10 years ago, but yeah. I'm like, this is just where I'm at right now. Like, this is who I am. I realize that this might scare the fuck out of you, but like, this is who I am. And like, you know, this is honestly like what's happening. And so I don't know if you, but I like, here it all is. Mm -hmm. yep. And there is like baggage. And that's, but a, that's a big piece too, is the honesty of where, and what to Jill said earlier is like, I think that I was honest, but there may be things that I would hold back that like small things, right? Just like little resentments that would build up of like, oh, you said this and I, you know, you kind of made me feel bad. Instead, I would just go like, what's the point of bringing that up? Mm -hmm. But then like that, you just, you kind of put that in your pocket. And so we had a, a lady on our podcast named Rennell Nelson. She's a sex therapist or an intimacy expert to, that helps people who reclaim int intimacy after affairs. And she was saying that the thing that erodes in a, re a relationship more than a third party, any kind of affair is judgment, assumptions, and resentments. Mm -hmm. And uh, she didn't say it in that order, but I remember telling my boyfriend at the time and he goes, Oh, jar judgment. Essentially. So that's how we remembered. And so we kind of started this thing of 
you know, like this idea of like, if a, like a rock gets in the jar, like think about like a rock in your shoe, it's small. Like you go a couple miles, you're going to start like that can build a big blister and make it worse and worse. Right. So even if it's a little bit of sand, if there's a little bit of resentment building, so, you know, once a week or so, we're just like, Hey, is there anything in the jar? Like, is there something? And sometimes there have been, it's just like so small. And he's like, well, I didn't bring this up because, and I was like, okay, well, thank you for letting me know. And same with me. Like it just could be a little comment that we didn't even think about, Mm -hmm. But those things build up and build up. And those are things that in my marriage that, you know, there were some of the things that were probably happening that my husband didn't bring up to me that ended up building up in his head. And so he was like, well, she's like, he's made up this whole idea about me, which I had no idea because it wasn't brought up to me. Yeah. (laughs) So it's the assumptions that are so huge. And then the resentment. And once you... Once you, and you, we all know this, like once you become resentful of somebody, then so anything hard. they do, you're just like, oh, that, yeah, like you just start make, yeah. making it bigger and bigger. So, um, the conversations now are so different where I'll bring up any little fucking thing. And I was like, I don't want to sound like I'm constantly bringing stuff up, but I'm also so hyper aware of like what happens when you don't mm-hmm. that bring it up. And you know, he's been here for it. And I know that I'm sure I could be with somebody else who's like, this shit's too much. It's too heavy. I'm like, cool. But then it's not for you. But we, I think often we, we're afraid of that. We're afraid if we bring it up, the people are going to bounce. And I think we don't give them enough chance to actually be there for it I and have space for it. Yeah. So moving forward from the affairs, like, did you find yourself looking for different traits in partners? Physically? No. <laughs> do you think I have a type? Um, you know, I, I realized there were, um, my ex had a lot of traits that I really admired, but there were new things that I did find that I needed that were important. And I did make a list, you know, I'd heard, you know, talking about manifestation and people are like, make a list of the person you want. So I did make a list and, um, just, you know, some physical characteristics and some more emotional. And then we actually had Elena Cardone on the podcast. She's Grant Cardone's wife. And she said she went to some like little froofy girlfriend thing and they made this list, but she said, someone told her to flip it and make a list of who do you have to be to attract that person. Love that. And so I was like, Oh, this is a great idea. So I went through the list. Cause I'm like, Oh, if I want somebody who is, you know, takes care of their body, am I doing that? If I want somebody who's like, um, giving and generous, am I that person or can I attract that person? And so I flipped the list and basically, you know, that list turned around and there was a few things I was like, Oh, I can still work on this. I need mm-hmm. to work on this in myself. So I, I did have a different idea of what the kind of person would be. Um, and I wanted to be a lot more specific Mm -hmm. and I think that's, yeah, I think that's helped, but it also really turned it back to me before I was even open to a relationship. I realized like I need to work on myself on becoming the person who Mm -hmm. I want to attract. I think one of the things that you don't like, you know, the affair is definitely painful in its own way, but you don't realize a lot of the reverberations that happen. So like my self-esteem was in the fucking tank. Mm -hmm. You know, you could look at me and be like, oh yeah, she has this, 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 like, of course she's confident or whatever. My fucking self-esteem is the person you love the most in the world, completely rejecting you. And you're going like, okay, I mean, we joke that like, what league am I even in? You know, like, I mean, it's a joke, but you're kind of like, I don't even know what you feel like you don't have anything to bring to the table. And so that for me manifested in dating a lot of fucking scrubs and like fuck boys and stuff like that. Like people that I wouldn't really even entertain, um, you know, having relationships, conversations with even now, not that they're bad people, but I was available for a lot more of scrubby behavior that I wouldn't. And so I had a distinct, I remember telling Danny, 
um, cause everything kind of happened like maybe a year before everything happened with Danny. I said, you know, I might be ready for a boyfriend. It was like late 2017. And I said, you know, I think I might be ready for a boyfriend next year. It's such a weird statement to make, but I, I wasn't ready for that. I was like, right. You know, I was ready to have a lot of sex. I was ready to date a lot. I was ready to do all that. Um, and so I was like, I know that I can't attract someone who I want by continuing the behaviors that I'm doing, which is being available for text message conversations at one in the morning. Like, what are you doing? Where are you at? Like, let's, you know, let's hook up, whatever. So I just like had to make, like, take the action to cut off all of those relationships, you know? And if you've ever dated, especially in LA, you know that a lot of people are talking like someone will hit you up like six months later and be like, what are you doing? And like, yeah. you might be available for that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I had to cut off a lot of the interactions that I wouldn't stand for anymore. And it wasn't that again, these guys were bad. It was just like, I wanted to vibrate on a higher level. Mm -hmm. And so literally as soon as I did that within a month, I actually met, met the guy I'm dating now. And we were ended up just being friends for like four or five months mm -hmm. before anything got romantic. And like, and it was just, the perfect, and he's physically, he's, he's the exact opposite of my ex. Uh, he's five years younger. My ex was eight years older. So that was weird. Um, just, it's challenging me in new ways. Mm -hmm. And he is not in this industry at all, which I, I couldn't tell if I liked or didn't like. And so, you know, it's, it, it's different and it's still like a process and I am really enjoying it. But yeah, for me, I like to Danny's point, I had to become someone available for a different level of mm -hmm. interaction with men. That was it too, the intention, because yeah, Jill did that. And I remember we had conversation. She's like, I think I'm ready for a relationship. And I was like, well, I'm not, like, yeah. I'm, still, I'm like not ready. But then it was about six, eight months later, I started, and this is like, mine was in steps. I was like, I'm starting to be open to the idea of a relationship. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm not quite ready yet, but I'm, I'm open to the idea of it. And then it was maybe six months later. I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready. And I started to like kind of shut down the conversations. Like, you, you know, these long, you know, because I've been traveling and met people all over. And so like you'd see people in a town or, and so just like these like lingering things that like, I called it a non-relationship relationship. Like we're not Situationship. in Situationship. Yeah. It's yeah. like we're in these conversations that are going nowhere. I'm never going to live there. I'm never going to be your girlfriend, but you know, that kind of thing. So I started closing those down and, um, and then, uh, what I really, we went to Rhythmia, did, uh, uh have you heard of Rhythmia? Mm -hmm. Oh, so Costa Rica, we did this like ayahuasca whole week. Oh yes. I've mm -hmm. heard of it. Okay. And one of my big intentions there was just to kind of get rid of or clear the last of, cause I was still struggling with heartbreak. Mm -hmm. You know, I was still struggling with, um, losing my marriage and my identity around that. And even though I'd done a lot of healing, I still felt a lot of grief and a lot of like maybe comparison, like will I ever find someone like that? And so I just really wanted to get to the bottom of that. And I feel like I got a lot of healing there. And then funny enough too, I ended up meeting my, the guy I'm with now the day after we got back from Rhythmia. Um, but there was still a lot of healing to do and there was still a lot of cutting. You know, I still had guys coming in while we're dating. I'm like, okay, no more. <laughs> Gotta yeah. play cut the, cut uh, we were court. calling it whack-a-mole. We we're like, <laughs> they just pop up and we're just hitting them down. <laughs> well, I feel like there are just so many dynamics. There's like your relationship with yourself after that. Right. But, and then your relationship with your ex, but then yeah. also all of your mutual friends and your family and dealing yeah. with everybody else's voices and also like being in the public sphere. And it's like, how do you navigate all of that? 
it's a shit show. I mean, for a while, like I didn't talk publicly about my breakup for a year and a half and I was getting plenty because we worked together, you know? Mm-hmm. So people were like, what's happening? Why are you living in LA? I didn't answer one single question, one single DM for, you know, cause I felt like it, it could be disastrous if I wasn't like solid on like where I was. Cause we were still yeah. trying to fucking figure shit out. Like, um, after I moved to LA, my ex moved out eight months later and then we started sleeping together again, you know? So it's like, there's all this back and forth, and I think in theory, we would like for things to be just very cut and dry. I think the narrative for women in our country is for strong women is that if you find out you're being cheated on, you leave. And like, that's what you should do. If you respect yourself, that's what you should do. And there wasn't. So I had to work through a lot of shame and embarrassment about being that person and being like a coach to other women and like whatever the narrative is. And like, I couldn't even, I was still back with my, did that make me not like, what was I doing? I'm, I'm what way I'm way, way more insecure than I thought I was. And so I think there, it takes time to figure out all your own shit and then to present it in a way that is, could potentially even be the slightest bit of a service to your audience, you know? And so for me, I had very much so done all the work on myself and was very clear on the situation itself. It wasn't, I didn't take to my email list or social media to, to fucking blast my ex-husband, you know, even though I had plenty of times I'd call my girlfriends for that. Mm-hmm. Like, can you just like, can I vent to you really quick? Mm-hmm. And like, you can just agree with me. He's a fucking asshole. Like I had those moments, plenty of those, but by the time I talked about it publicly, it was, and I'm not even fucking a celebrity. It's weird to even say that. I remember even like prefacing, like this feels weird to even like send to my email list because like I'm a nobody, mm-hmm. but yet you guys do care because you've been following and you're reading the blog for however long. So uh, it's a really strange place to be, but it also, you know, people do want to know. And so what are the, some of the lessons and things like that? So I was like, how can I position this as a service? And it's not just completely your self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. A, big, a big thing I got was reminders from people like Jill and my sister-in-law is what do you want? Yeah. Because it is so hard when you have every, so my first thoughts, and I hate to say this, but like initially was like, what are other people going to think? Yeah. Because, um, we, I had just started bringing him into my business. I had made a course and had him in it the first, for the first time. And we were that couple that everyone looked up to. And we were those people. And I remember I had friends who I knew they were going through crap and they'd post stuff like, Oh, my you know, date night. And I'm like, you're, y'all are both cheating on each other. Why are you posting? And so I was like, oh my God, are people going to think that's me now? Are they going to think everything I posted was fake? And it wasn't. And so my first thought was like, people are going to think we're fake. We were going to think we had a bad relationship and we didn't. I felt like I had to justify. So I didn't know what to say. And then my family was from a religious background. So they wanted, they were like, you know, we'll help you guys stay together. We want to make this work. I don't believe in divorce. So there were all of these outside, you know, ideas coming in. And I remember just coming to to LA and then Jill and other people saying, well, what do you want? And I remember at first going, I don't know what I I want. Like all I want is like, I did not want this to happen. (laughs) What I want is to erase the last two months and we (laughs) pretend this never happened. We just start the fuck over. Um, so I remember just like this and even my coaches, well, what do you want? What do you want? And I'm just like, I would just ball. Like, I just felt like, you know, talking about it being in your body, like my chest and my throat, like. I don't know what I want. And so it was constantly just, just sitting with that. Like, well, what do you want? What do you want in this moment? What do you want going forward? What do you want? If you never work it out, what will happen? If you do work it out, what do you want? And so constantly checking in with myself, what do I want? What do I need? And then, you know, when I finally made the decision about the divorce, I remember being so scared to tell my parents, like they're going to be disappointed. And in fact, it was the opposite. They were so supportive. Um, they were actually, it turned out better than I thought it would And my friends were supportive 
and people around me were supportive and all of the fears I had of what people were going to think didn't really matter. Like they maybe had their private conversations, but the ones that I heard were supportive. So ultimately I did have to focus on what do I need? What is going to make me get through this before I worried about all that other stuff, but it definitely wore, it wears on you. You do think about well, and it. Even strangers have opinions. That's yeah. what's yeah. weird is like, cause they're like, he's an asshole. And I'm like, and I even like preface, like I've done all the work. I've, we've had the conversations. I've seen all the angles. There's yep. nothing like, yeah. I don't need like, thank you for your concern. I, like, I appreciate it, but also I'm not available for yeah. it, you know? <laughs> So, well, it's an interesting climate now because everybody thinks they can have an opinion about everyone else's lives. Yeah. I mean, one of my good friends just announced that he was separating from his wife and I was just reading the comments and everyone like they're come from a very religious background and everyone's like, you have to stay together. Let us know what we can do to help you stay together. And it's yeah. like, I mean, I know his side. I'm like, they're not staying together. Right. And it's like, you don't even know them. Yeah, you don't know like the it's story. their life. Right. Right. Like I'm not DMing you and being well, like, everyone projects their, <laughs> yeah. right. So we have women who have been married for 30 years mm-hmm. and they're going, they're projecting, well, they just didn't try hard enough. Yeah. You know, when you're like, okay, like how is that helpful? Thank yeah. you. Even I know, um, a friend of Jill's or some people had known her for a while that she, they were at this uh, meeting. She was like, I was so devastated when they were like, it was Jill's problem to let someone like she let them down. Oh She's like, God. I thought you guys had the most perfect. So if Jill and Jade can't do it, then like I'm screwed in my relationship. Like that's her a lot of responsibility. Has, yeah. I'm just trying to like stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like her relationship has nothing to do with you and what you yeah. find in your life. And, and so, you know, sometimes when you are put on a pedestal by other people, yeah. it's like, that's not our job to do. Yeah. It's like, okay, sorry about that. Sorry. I broke your heart. Like, I'm not going to stay together. So some random yeah. fan can feel, feel good better. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also this idea of like, are you trying hard enough is really interesting because mm. what's the line between like, yeah, like there's putting work into a relationship, but at some point Being a martyr. if there's resistance the whole time, it's not the fucking right yeah. relationship. Yeah. You know, Probably like with business, right? Yeah. It's like sometimes people are pushing and pushing and pushing and trying for something. And it's like, you got to know when to just, just cut your losses it. and mm-hmm. let go and try something new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, even when I left the marriage, I could have stayed easily. It was like 50, 50. I could have stayed, but in my head it was like, we're going to be having the same conversation in three months, six months, a year. Like, why am I staying? It wasn't like it was bad moment to moment, like mm-hmm. more like, you know, screaming, fighting. It was like, so I think people always, and I remember Danny saying to me, like, how will I know? Like, I feel like I just need, especially when we're in that uncertainty place. I mean, talk about coronavirus. We just want to take action. We just want to like, yeah. be the one in charge. We want to know what's going to happen. And Danny would be like, I don't know if I should get divorced. I don't know if I should file. I don't know. And I'd be like, and I just said to her, I'm like, you, you'll know when you know, mm-hmm. you'll just know. And it will all of a sudden just be like, yep, that's the thing. Yep. And that's hard. It's not, it takes a lot longer to get there than we like. We just want to know, okay, what's going to happen? Where are we going to go? And I had this moment with my ex where I was asking him because I had mentioned that I was, he was kind of almost like a mentor to me in, in some ways. He was older. He was a doctor, like whatever. And so I had put him up on this pedestal. And I remember when we were talking and I just said, Jade, like, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? And he just said, Jill, I know you want me to know, but I've never been through this either. Mm-hmm. And that was a moment where I was just like, oh, like he doesn't know. He doesn't yeah. have the answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Like it's an even playing field. Like we, mm-hmm. I have to decide what I want to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's a weird place to be. Have your views on marriage changed? Like, would do you see yourself getting married again? <laughs> we didn't have a set on that. No. Yeah. I mean, my views on marriage have changed. Um, I would get married again. However, um, I think maybe my, my views on divorce really have changed more than anything um, because I used to just feel like it was like the easy way out, maybe the cop out, just because I feel like people get divorced so quickly. Um, and I think really my views on marriage... 
they've changed, but not, not necessarily due to being married just in general. Like I was the girl in high school. I got pregnant in high school and I came from this religious background and I felt like in this background, basically you get married so you can have sex. Right. And Mm -hmm. I was like, screw that. I've already had sex. So like, what's the point of getting (laughs) married? Right. So, so I had this idea that I'll, I'll never get married. I don't need a piece of paper to show that I love someone. And like, that's, it's just this construct of the government or whatever. And then when I got a little bit older and I met my husband and we decided to get married, I took it way more seriously than I thought I would. I found myself to feel very, like, I felt very committed. It wasn't the paper. It wasn't the ranks. I didn't have fancy jewelry and I don't care about that. But there was some kind of mental shift for me about being married. And I felt... um in a way to maybe more respected as a married couple. Like if we had been living together 10 years and we're still like, Oh, this is my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I feel like there is a difference in how you are treated or how it comes across when you have your spouse versus like a boyfriend. Um, so for me, um, I loved being married. I really thought it was, I don't know. I liked being part of a team. I really loved it. Um, I liked having that, I don't know, whatever it is. And so, you know, I've, I've thought about it a lot and I've gone back and forth. I'm like, yeah, I would like to get married again, but it's also not the goal. I'm not like looking for a husband or, or like if I don't get married, there's something wrong with me. I'm not desperate for that. It could be nice. And also I'm kind of like, now I'm in this relationship and I've been more relaxed. I'm like, you know, it's not the most important thing where in my early twenties, it was more like, I need to, I need to get married because everyone else around me is. Mm -hmm. So it's shifted and changed, but I still, believe in love and love and marriage don't necessarily equate to the same thing, but I also, um, I like the idea of it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I don't, I, I'm pretty much 99% sure that I don't want to get married again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mostly just because for me, I don't know that I need that. I don't really have the same feelings around like me feeling like if I say my husband, that makes it more serious. Cause in my heart, it's just as serious. And you know, Danny and I've talked about this quite a bit because, you know, both of us didn't want to hold back in new relationships. We were consciously like, I don't want to be in a new relationship, like continue to hold back. And there's still like layers that I peel back all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, I still have a wall up there mm-hmm. or I still feel myself like, like doing this a little bit or I st- still, and Danny is great. Cause she always catches me. She's like, don't you just think that like you're waiting for the shoe to drop? And I'm like, fuck, you're right. So I've caught myself in those moments. And sometimes I ask myself like, is that for me, um, you know, both of us got married like fairly young. So I think I don't have a lot of urgency about being married again because I've already been married. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we have a lot of friends who are in their mid thirties who are like really wanting to get married because they've never had that experience. I don't know that it changes anything at this point. And for me, I also don't know that the goal is to be with one person forever. I think I love the idea of experiencing different people as much as like, I want to give over, you know, my trust and my full, like be in a relationship, do all the things that someone who's fully trusting does. I'm well aware that I could be with someone for a number of years and then have my, uh, my heart absolutely broken. And that's kind of something I'm okay with, I think. Whereas before, if you'd asked me in my marriage, like, could I ever see myself not with this person? I'd be like, fuck no. Like I'd die. Like I would not know what to do if I wasn't married to this person. That's how important that my relationship was to me. Now I just, I feel like I have more angles. I have more experience. And to me, I love love still. And we both have said that the whole time. I don't want to, my identity be the, the like scorned woman, the like person who was cheated on the, like, I don't want to have that narrative, but I also love the idea of potentially experiencing a lot of different people Yeah, and not even like sexually, just like from a lesson perspective, yeah. like I'm with someone now who's totally opposite of my ex-husband and it's been great and it's personal development. Yeah. It's interesting. It's all in like perspective. I was talking to my friend about this around divorce because she's, so I have a friend who like kind of wants to get a divorce and she was like, I've never talked to somebody who thinks divorce isn't bad. And I was like, 
I mean, who told you divorce is bad? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it, I don't think it makes sense to be with one person your whole life. It made sense when we died when we were 25, mm-hmm. like when we were eaten by a tiger, but like, how can you live for as long as we live? And to me, it's like people grow so much and right. You either grow together, or you grow apart. And like, there's no wrong or right, but I just don't think it makes sense to stay with one person forever, honestly. Um, but it's like, I think a lot of the shame that comes around, this is like, who told you that story, right? That divorce is bad necessarily. Like you have to be with somebody forever. Like, well, so you don't get a trophy, right? Yeah. Like I think, you know, and at the same time, to Danny's point, I love the idea of taking a commitment seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't want to be with someone who doesn't take commitment seriously. Like, so I'm still, I'm, I mean, I know myself well enough to know, like I won't, I'm, I'm monogamous and mm-hmm. I will be. And like, I just, the idea of like being in an open relationship to me, I just wouldn't, couldn't do that and mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. I'm going to judge it. I think it's great for some people. Um, I just know myself. I'd rather be alone. I think, you know, to the point of being with someone, one person your whole life, uh, Esther Perel, she, uh, wrote a book called state of affairs and talks a lot about infidelity. And she says that we're, we are generally married to what she say, like multiple people. And sometimes, or she's like, we, you'll have another marriage. So even if you stay, like, let's say there was infidelity, you were Mm -hmm. married and then you stay together, you have a completely different marriage. And so I do believe people change. And I do think that a lot of people can be completely like still with the same person, but they're very different people. And so I see that more of an aspect of like being with someone your whole life, like I'm putting in quotes, but it's like different. They're they're still different people. people, And at the same time, now I'm not as attached to like, if I got married again and it ended, I'm not I'm not in the same mindset of like, it's over. I'm a failure. This is it. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, we tried, we did our best and this isn't working again. And so now I'm divorced twice, I guess, you know, it, and who knows what could happen. Um, you know, I have friends, a friend who was divorced and then second husband, um, died. Mm-hmm. And so she's on a third marriage and it's like, are we judging a third marriage because somebody passed away? Like there's a whole lot of things, but I just think it's really what you make of it. Um, I think that marriage really is, like, yes, it's a, it's a construct of social and maybe religious, but I think everybody really has to make of it what they want. Definitely. And I could be fine never doing it, but yeah, I, I do like the idea of it, but yeah. it's really like, I'm also not like, you know, so attached to it that yeah. I need to like, Your I was, I, yeah. And I also just, since I was a little girl, I think there's, uh, there's some people who have that idea. Like one of my cousins, she had planned her wedding since she was like 12 year old girl. Like she knew, she's like, I know what my bridesmaid, like that was never me. Still not me. It's, I'm not the, the party planner, the wedding planner. It's not the wedding. It's the, you know, I know from being married, your, your wedding is one day, your, your marriage is like the rest of your life. So you have to be willing to work. Yeah. In the process of, you know, getting over that whole experience, or I don't know if you ever fully get over it, but that process afterwards, did you cut off all communication with your exes? I did for a while. I I did. And then came back and then like, there were, there were times where I blocked him completely Mm -hmm. and then had to communicate because we had dogs and stuff. And then there was a time where we were communicating a little bit more, like trying to work things out. And then I cut it off again. So I think it is necessary to have some period of time where there's no contact because I really think it's hard to heal if Mm -hmm. you're constantly in contact, but I probably should have done it longer, but I definitely went like a good month at a time with like zero contact. Yeah, I agree. I think it, so, um, our situation was a little bit different. 
um, cause we did try and work on it for a year. Then when I left, um, you know, I moved to LA, I didn't know anybody and I was fucking lonely. I was so lonely. And I remember just feeling like a fucking loser. Like I just felt like, Oh my God, what am I doing here? Like my entire family's back in North Carolina. Everyone who loves me is back in North Carolina. I should just go back. And I took it one day at a time. And then I started traveling a little bit more. And then my ex moved out here eight months later and we fell right back into a pattern. We lived separately, but we started sleeping together again. He was my security blanket. Like, you know, I got a new dog. So I was like, can you help me with my puppy like and then um but I knew it still wasn't the answer still knew it wasn't the answer and then after he'd been in LA for like about six months I was like look I'm trying to move on romantically and I I'm not available for other men at this point because of this still and so I said I as much as I don't want to I don't want to talk to you for a time and he was really upset because he hadn't gone through that like I, I went through the healing process of like being alone and being lonely and whatever he hadn't gone through that yet so when I cut him off I was he would send me a text message like well it must be nice for you I don't know anybody out here I'm like <laughs> And I started dating and that was really what I needed. And I was, you know, going out like five, six nights a week with different guys. And I just needed that period. I hadn't been single since I was 18. And so like, I was just like, fuck, I'm in a city where everyone's gorgeous. I am in my mid thirties. I don't even know if I fucking got it anymore. I don't even know if I'm attractive. Like we would joke, I don't know what fucking league I'm in. Like, I don't know what I have to bring to the table. And like I'm healing and <laughs> I'm still married and like it's just all these things. Yeah. It was a shit show. For yeah. like about a year yeah. it was about a shit show. It was like dating. I'm like, yeah. well, we're dating, but I'm still married, but we're separated. Are we're you getting like, divorced. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, but we haven't filed, but you know it, You're just doing your best in those moments. <laughs> and I think it's important to for like anyone who's listening, if you're going through a really uncertain period of time, it's okay to be a shit show. Like it's okay. You know, Danny and I joke, like we went out, we were going out all we almost went out every single night for like a year, mm-hmm. spending so much much money on booze. going out and booze. And I was like, it was self-care. Like mm-hmm. as much as I, I don't judge it, it was just what we had to do. I was very aware that it was transient. I'm like, this is just what I have to do right now. This is the exact opposite of being married, but I just have to do this right now. And I'm sure at some point it will evolve into the next iteration. Yeah. And it did. And now both of us in a relationship. So, you know, I think try not to judge it when you're going through that. And it's okay to not have all the answers at first. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I'm doing it one day at a time. And, and eventually you do kind of come to the next iteration of yourself or the next iteration of relationship. The not judging a piece was so huge. And just reminding, cause I was like, this isn't the kind of person that I like, if you saw who I was married versus the couple of months where I was really losing my stuff as a single person, I'm like, <laughs> I'm a completely different person. Like this isn't me, but I'm like, but it is me right now, <laughs> but this is not me. Like I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm doing, but it, I'm doing it. So I guess I would normally do it. <laughs> but so I was like, I was constantly like judging it, but doing it anyway. And then feeling bad about, it. and I'm just like, and you know, Jill would remind me like, don't judge it. This is what you have to do right now. Like, what else are you supposed to fucking do? There's yeah. no guidebook on how to get through it and how to like you. You just don't know. Like grief, and I really believe this is part of grief. Is like grief shows up in a lot of different ways, and it you react in a lot of different ways. Whether you lose someone to death, lose someone to affair, lose whatever you are grieving and you just find ways and our bodies, I think we just find ways to, we don't want to feel pain. Mm-hmm. So we find other ways that whether that's, you know, through food, through sex, through drugs, through alcohol, whatever, we're looking for ways to just get rid of the pain and avoid it. Now you do have to at some point face the pain and feel the pain. And so I was doing that. And at the same time, avoiding it. Like sometimes it's so much, like you can only face so much at a time before it's overwhelming. So like you do what Gotta you can out. and then you go have a drink, but you do have to also be so careful to not let it you know, downward spiral into something that turns into where you're destroying your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm really lucky that I have friends and, and self-awareness and tools and, you know, counseling and all of that stuff that helped me pull myself out of it. So I think that 
I'm like, I, I hate to say, it, but I like, I'm glad I went through all that. I'm glad I did it. Um, well, I don't hate to say it. I just, I did. Um, but you do have to just realize like in the back of your mind, like this too shall, I just kept saying like this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Like things are going to change. Things are going to get better back to like, even now coronavirus stuff, like this is going to pass. Like we just have to figure out our way through it and mm-hmm. just take one step at a time and get, you know, get through these steps. But like, be gentle with yourself. And mm-hmm. like you, if you're having these fears and anxieties and then you're judging yourself for that, like you're just compounding and making things worse. Like by judging, the- <laughs> I remember I was always like, Jill's like, you're judging yourself for judging yourself. I was like, okay, <laughs> let me back it up. That personal development trap. Yeah. You're judging yourself. Can for I just be yourself? self-destructive without judgment? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you guys both were fitness competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious like how the affairs, like that whole situation affected your body image and if that, cause I feel like it's all kind of related. Totally. Well, I will say that one of the first things I thought when I found out who's having an affair was cause we had been in it living in the RV for a year and I had put on a couple of pounds. My first thought was like, am I too fat? Is she skinnier than me? Like mm-hmm. that was my first thought, right? Because that's like in the back of your mind, is she prettier than me? Is she skinnier than me? Or is she younger than me? Which she wasn't prettier. She was smaller, (laughs) but it was like, but it wasn't about that. So I think, um, yeah, you know, I think those things do affect your relationships for sure. Because early on when we first got married, I was competing, going through all that. And you are just focused on you. You're focused on yourself, focus on what you look like. You're obsessed. And in a relationship, for men, it could come across as you're neglecting me. You're not looking at me. Like I was more obsessed with my body than his body. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I can imagine like flip, like I know personally, I would never date a bodybuilder. Like I couldn't handle a guy who <laughs> was deal like, with it. Too, was like, too, like, too self-obsessed. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like it definitely, um, affected it. Now it was much later when the affair happened, but I think, you know, I'm sure that stuff early on is just led to the, the building. It absolutely in the did jar. in my yeah. relationship. 100%. Yeah. I, like it was, that was the story. The story was, you're not considering me. You only care about you. You only, you're not available for me. I, and he was, and he, he even admits, he's like, I know it was really unattractive to me mm. how obsessed you were with your body. And cause I would be like, my abs showing now, like am I showing now? Like I would just be in that space. Yeah. And yeah, I just cut off everything else. And I don't blame myself for that again. Like that's who I was back then. I show compassion for my 26 year old self, but yeah, that absolutely was led to a lot of resentment and him looking for someone his own age, even who Mm -hmm. was kind of over those body esteem struggles, Mm -hmm. you know, where do you think that stemmed from? Like the desire to do the fitness competitions and you know, for me, I was a gymnast growing up. And, uh, so there was always pressure to look a certain way. And then where ultimately the competition came from was I got paralyzed when I was in my early twenties. And once I started walking again, like when you can't walk, all you want to do is be able to walk. Mm -hmm. So I just remember like having this like promise was like, if I could ever walk again, I'm never taking it for granted. So once I was walking like a year and a half later, I ran a marathon and I was like just into fitness and I became a trainer. And then of course I thought, well, if I'm a trainer, I have to look the part. And I feel like I just wanted to just really do everything to push my body to the limit and just like excel because I, I had that taken away. 
but on the flip side, on the visual, it was just like being a gymnast and always like my coaches, that was just something super important. Like we got weighed and, and so there was always like this, there was both sides going in of like the, the performance aspect and also just like needing to look the part and look the way. And, you know, growing up, I just, you know, looking back at how my mom talked to me, there was always like, there was always a level of perfection. There was always expect the expectation of perfection in my house, no matter whether it was schoolwork or how I looked or how I presented. Yeah. Perfectionism for sure with Mm -hmm. me. And I grew up playing sports. So to me, it just felt like a new layer. And I love the idea that not many people could do it. That was always really big for me. It was like, and I think that's, you know, if you talk to people who are anorexic, I think they pride themselves on being able to have more willpower than, you know, the average person. I like that. I liked being the one who was um, sacrificing the most, who was working the hardest, who, you know, had the most willpower was earliest to the gym, latest, latest to leave at the gym. Like I just liked the feeling of being a martyr, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Like I liked liked martyring myself out for yeah. that process. Thinking you're the most disciplined. Yeah. yeah. It was, you definitely take pride in that, you know? So even, even once I stopped competing and started like gaining back to my normal weight, people would be like, you look so healthy. And I'd be like, does that mean I'm fat? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Or yep. you look well, or like, you look so strong. I'd be like, no, that means I'm fat. You, you yeah. know? So you had, it took a while for both of us to kind of work through. Danny obviously like having to, cause she like literally couldn't get out of bed. Um, and me starting my business, I was like, look, I can't be at the gym three times a day. And also being like super obsessed with eating all the time because yeah. I'm trying to like make this business work. And I think if I'm honest, I took a lot of the self-worth I was gaining from the shows and the photo shoots and put that into my business. Right. So it's just the same exact thing, just a different outfit. Now, how am I going to, Oh, is it the likes, the reads, the comments, the, you know, am mm-hmm. I making money? Like, so I think it's easy to just take, if you don't work on your self-worth stuff, to just put it into a different thing. For me, it was my marriage, right? Okay, I have the perfect marriage. Then that shit got taken away. Yep. And you c- continue to confront your your own self-worth issues yeah. until you're like, all right, can I have nothing? The can less. I be, you know, like, yep. can I can I have no money? Yeah. No, you know, physique, like all the things and still love myself. And that's the journey. Oh my God. It's just like, well, and then the toll that that takes on your body long-term. Like, oh, it was ridiculous. Like, what did you notice after... You stopped competing. Dude, I still. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still tired. Yeah. You know, adrenal fatigue and stuff. So I, um, you know, I competed for a number of years. It's interesting because I know some people do one show and they are wrecked. Yeah. Um, but I competed for a number of years and it wasn't until 2009, uh, 2000, no, sorry, 2010, 11, maybe, um, where suddenly what I was doing wasn't working anymore. I remember I'd see these girls do a show and then shortly after just blow up and I was like, I was never that girl. I wouldn't go binge after. I wouldn't go crazy. I was literally like strict 24, seven, 365, right? Like I didn't deviate. I didn't do competition diet and then go off and then diet. And so I just, you know, in some ways, like in the back of my mind, not that I said this exactly, but it was like, I'm better than that. Like I can be lean year round. Like this is my gift. Right. Until suddenly I was, I did a show, um, and I had hired a new coach who put me on basically keto and no carbs. And so day after the show, I was like, I'm just going to eat my normal breakfast, which prior to working with him was oats, a half cup of oats measured, right? (laughs) Measured oats. And then half cup of rice measured, like everything was next day gained eight pounds. I was like, how did I gain eight pounds? Yeah rice and oatmeal. But in my, in my brain, I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to go back. Like I got to cut carbs again. So of course then I cut the carbs and I'm like, but when I'm not eating carbs, I'm stressed and I'm anxious. And I'm like, so, and of course go back to the gym. So I like lose four. And then I gain, literally it was like this gain eight, lose four, gain eight, lose four, gain eight, lose four. Until like all of a sudden I'm like having a net gain. Right. And, um, up to 30 pounds within like two months. 
And, and I was, and every time I gain a little bit, then I freak out and then overcompensate by going to the gym and doing like two hours of cardio. And then I was like not doing the carbs, doing more cardio, eating less. Like suddenly I'm down to like 900 calories, three hours a day. And I'm like still gaining. And I'm like, how? Yeah. And I, I was a trainer at the time and I trained people to do stage and I do mostly weight. I did mostly like weight loss, fat loss clients. And I was thinking, how are people going to believe me? Like I'm helping people lose weight and they could visibly see that I'm gaining weight so fast. And then I'm going, are they thinking I'm binging? Cause I'm not like, I'm doing all of this stuff. And it got to where I just drive to the gym and I'd sit in the parking lot and cry. Cause I was so tired. And I was like, I don't want to go in there, but I have to, because I was so terrified of this weight gain. And I remember one day just going to like picking up, um, five pound weights, just like do lateral raises. And it was so heavy. And then I picked up the three pounds and I could barely do three pounds. And then I go on the stairs and I used to be like doing level 10 and I could barely do level two or three. And I'd have to stop every two minutes to catch my breath. I was like, I can't do it anymore. And so I just had this moment of like, fuck it. I am going to like, if I'm getting weight in my head, I was like, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm getting weight anyway. I guess I'm just going to get fat and like do that. I'm going to stop working out. I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want. My husband's going to leave me. I'm going to get up to 250 pounds, like whatever. I'm going to eat myself into like a blimp and then all my friends will leave. I'll just be the fat girl who lives in a trailer. And it's like, this is where I went. So like literally just decided, I was like, I can't do it. I was bawling. And then just like, this was the night that I, I made a, bowl of spaghetti that I ate at 10 PM, which was so big because one, I don't even know. I probably hadn't had spaghetti in like eight years, Mm -hmm. 10 PM. I hadn't eaten carbs after four in like five years. Mm -hmm. So I ate this bowl of spaghetti at 10 o'clock at night. And I was just like, that was like my, the last meal, right? When my life ends. (laughs) And I got up the next morning and I was like, going to say, don't weigh yourself ever again. But I was like, I need to punish myself to see what I did to myself last Mm -hmm. night. And I got on the scale and it was like the first day it did not go up. Like it had been going up every single freaking day. Ate spaghetti at 10 o'clock, didn't go up. And I was like, wow, that's weird. And I kind of went on a binge for a couple of days. And what was crazy was my weight finally just stabilized. And I was like, this is really freaking odd. Because I was almost like just in self-destruct mode. Like, oh, let's go. Let's see how fast I can, you know, gain 60 pounds. And um, that was the beginning of my healing was just like the F it all. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to just self-destruct eat what I want. And it was interesting because after a couple of days of just eating all the chocolate reasons and all of the carbs and all of the things, then I was just tired of eating. And I was yeah. like, I fell into a just more normal pattern. And by normal, it was just like, I'll eat what I want when I want and not obsess. But I was still obsessing. Like in my head, I was like, I remember just picking up chicken and putting it in a bowl and having the urge to want to weigh it, but just making myself not weigh it. I'm like, yeah. I just need to not do this. And, um, people usually ask like, how long did it take to lose the weight? And it was a couple of years, but I never tried. It just started to come slowly, but I was plateaued for a long, long time. But that was the thing. It didn't, it couldn't be the point. I just had to just stop. Like I had to start with the mindset stuff. And what I really focused on was like, I'm used to spending three hours a day at the gym. So what am I going to do with all this extra freaking time? (laughs) So I just started reading and doing more spiritual work and personal work and like mindset work. Cause I'm like, I need to figure out how to be okay with what's going on in my brain. Cause the hardest part wasn't the physical. Like I thought I missed the gym, but the hardest part was the mental part of not having the gym or not having the control. So I had to deal with all the anxiety and the shit going on in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I got a lot of time now. I've got three hours a day that I usually would be on the treadmill or the step mill or lifting or whatever. So I got to do something with this time. So I did a lot of more self-work and it took a while, but it's, I feel really lucky that 
it wasn't as long as it could have been. Although I think I did make it go way longer than it should have been. Um, but I couldn't get through it without the mental stuff, but physically, um, cause that was your question really was I did struggle for a long time with issues. Um, I was, I had to take a lot of different supplements. I had to be on, uh, some prescription medicines for a while. I had to deal with some hormonal stuff. And to this day, I know that I easily can go back into like adrenal fatigue type stuff where I, at the beginning, I was like sleeping 14 to 18 hours a day, constant. And I was like, I'm never going to wake up. And I still like, if I'm traveling a bunch, I got to take a, a nap in the middle of the day. Like I know when it's coming back. Cause I start sleeping, like, like it's my job. Like I, <laughs> we, I joke around how much I sleep and nap, but it's like, I know when I'm super stressed that happens more and more. And the healthier I am, the less sleep I need. And like, I remember going, Oh, I didn't need a nap today. Like I must be feeling better, <laughs> but it's like, that's my, um, way to see if I'm healthy is like how much sleep I have. And also I'm really good about making sure I do get enough sleep. Cause that was a big piece for me to heal. Do you find that you have like a lower exercise tolerance now? I feel like I do, yeah. you know, and also just, I don't want like, I, don't attention I, I also, I have a fear, um, not so much anymore, but I did have a fear that I would get too obsessed again and like go down that path. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'd force myself to do shorter workouts and just get out, mm -hmm. you know? And that was tricky because I had to unfollow a bunch of people that I followed online because they were triggering me. They were like, Oh, get it in. This is my second, like two a days. And I had been doing the two a days. Oh, there's no fucking way I'm going to do it today. Yeah. And I need, I had to get away from those people that I would follow that, that would trigger my competitive. Cause I'm like competitive. So I'm like, Oh, if they're doing it, I'm going to do it. Right. So, um, I do work out less and I purposely work out less, but I also, my goal now is to do as little as possible, eat as much as possible, and then still maintain what I have. Mm -hmm. Right. If I have to work so hard just to like get a little percentage off or less, like that's not worth it. But I have found that I have less endurance and and that's okay. Cause I'm not a marathon runner, yeah. you know, and I'm okay with not being the best athlete anymore. I think to, again, back to identity, like being attached to an, uh, an athlete identity and being attached to, you know, people just knowing me for my abs or whatever. I had to let go of all those things and look internally, like what else do I have to offer besides mm -hmm. abs and I don't know, a couple yeah. of magazine covers or something. Yeah. And also like how much time can I get back doing other totally. work, right? You have so much more time in the day. Literally now I'm like, how did I have do anything? Yeah. to do, <laughs> do anything? Yeah. It takes a hit on everything. Relationship, oh business, like, you know, people, it's a lot of, oh it's a lot gosh, of time. It so is. We get a, a lot of people ask us, you know, we've done a couple episodes on this and people are just like, but how do you stop? How do you stop? Like they get caught in that like cardio trap. You know, Danny got like sick, like to the point where she like literally couldn't do it. Um, and for me, I think one of the the biggest things was I went to Europe for nine weeks and that like totally just like ripped away my normal routine, routine. at the gym. I was like, dude, they don't have gyms. And I mean, they do, mm -hmm. but like they don't speak the language. <laughs> like you and have they to don't have the kind of food either. No. Yeah. And so I was walking a lot. And so I think that really that like, you know, kind of routine change forced me to, and I like my clothes still fit. Like I needed to have that experience. I needed to have the experience of I can go to Europe. I can eat bread every day. I can walk. I don't need to be lifting weights every second. And my clothes still fit after nine weeks. And yeah. when I had that experience, you know, it was kind of like, oh, like I don't have to do as much as I thought I did, yeah. you know? And so I'm the same way as Danny now. I just like, for me, I'm like, how much can I get away with nutritionally? And then, um, I have to like my workouts. I have to like, like them. I have, they have to be short. Like I literally don't have the attention to spend me in the gym. I get so angry. If I'm in, in the gym for more than 40 yeah. minutes, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? I'm still like, why am I here? So, yeah. okay, I'm done. Like I'm yeah. just, oh, it's, it's over the gym, the workout's over. Yeah. So 
And, and to your point of having other goals, you know, like it, I think, I think your body is a low hanging fruit. Yeah. I think if you don't have a sense of purpose or passion to do something else, if at least I know that was for me, you know, I was like, Oh, in theory, I'd like to like have a business or in theory, I'd like to like have a great relationship. But for me, the low hanging fruit was if I can just control my body, then everything else will be fine. And it really wasn't, yeah. I wasn't living. And know? people believe that if you have a good body, then that that's why my business <laughs> is exactly opposite. Yeah. This is why I don't have a boyfriend. Cause I don't, you know, I haven't lost the weight and this is why I don't have clients. It's, it's just like, no, that's not it at all. And that's what we need to like get our minds like rewired around. It's like, no, that's not the piece that yeah. you need actually to yeah. focus on. Um, yeah. Like when Jill said she went to Italy and I had like the it's almost like you need this piece of proof that you know, yeah, not everything do. falls apart, right? So like the spaghetti incident or go to Italy or whatever it is, it's like, oh, the world didn't end. All your friends don't hate you. You know, all the things that you think are going to happen. It's like, that's actually not going to happen. Even if I had gained after the spaghetti, mm-hmm. which I expected that. So it wouldn't, that wouldn't have changed anything either, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we just, uh, we get so wrapped up in I had the fear, yeah. the fear and just yeah. going, and you know, this has been a lesson for me continually. And now that now my new thing is like aging, something we do not, you know, can't control. And so it's like, okay, again, like Danny, here you go with the same lesson of like, are you attaching yourself to your outside? You know, are you worried about how you, how many wrinkles you have or like what's happening to your body as you get older? Like I'm looking at my leg skin. I'm like, Ooh, look, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit wrinkly now. Right. Yeah. It's like a different texture than it used to be. And, um, there's something to be said about that. And I'm glad I went through this because now I can just like, look at it more. And it's like, well, that's interesting. Like my arms used to never do that, but okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, we're always getting these lessons and they show up in other ways if you don't yeah. learn them right. And I also just think sometimes hitting rock bottom is the best thing ever because yeah. it helps you like reach that moment of enlightenment so yeah. much sooner than people who never reach rock bottom. Totally. And it's like they're 55 tracking macros and like, I'm like, whoa, right? Yeah. Like you kind of have to reach that point where you're forced to release the resistance and yeah. people can listen to stories like this and it, I think it comforts them a bit to be like, oh, I'm in that situation. Like they want that permission, but you don't really feel it until you're like, fuck, I'm at, I'm at my lowest low. Like I yeah, have no I other shit. way to go up. Yeah. Yep. So, so good. yeah, I think a lot of women listening to this will really relate and they're going to want to binge all of your podcast episodes. <laughs> so <laughs> where so. can they find more from you guys? Yeah. Well, so Jill and I have a podcast called the best life podcast because we just really believe that no matter what happens, what circumstances are happening to you, you get to choose. Um, you get to choose whether or not you you know, like your victim mentality or not, mm-hmm. but we get to choose that this is the best life. So the best life podcast we have on Instagram, it's the best life podcast. And then personally I have mine. It's at Danny It's D A N N Y like a boy. And then you spell out.com like an idiot. O T C O M. Yep. And I'm just Jill fit on awesome. all the things. So awesome. yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you relate to any of the relationship stuff or the body, you know, stuff for sure. We have a lot of episodes on both of those things on the best life. So if you guys are into podcasts, that's the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks much. So much for having yeah, thank us. you. It was fun. Thank you so much to Danny J and Jill for coming on the podcast and having such an open, raw, amazing conversation. If you want more from them, which I know you do, you can find them on the Best Life Podcast and check them out on Instagram at the Best Life Podcast. You can find Jill at JillFit and Danny J at DannyJ.com. 
if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you take a screenshot and share it on social media. Be sure to tag me, Christina Rice Wellness, tag Jill, tag Danny J, and tag Best Life Podcast. It helps other people find out about the episode and just enjoy the incredible information. And don't forget, if you want exclusive behind the scenes content related to the podcast and my life, you definitely need to check out my secret Instagram page. It's wellness realness crew. All you have to do to get access to that private account is DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to that account to request to follow. And when I get that DM with a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review, I will press accept and then you can see all of the exclusive videos and behind the scenes juicy juicy content if you want to connect with other podcast listeners go ahead and hop on over to our free facebook group wellness realness podcast tribe and post about anything and everything in there it's a great way to find other like-minded amazing individuals and i think we could all use a little extra connection right now That's going to be it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again for tuning in and I will chat with you again next time. Bye.